Good morning. So glad you could be with us this morning. I'm grateful and honored to have the opportunity to share with you this morning some things that God has been placed, has placed and has been working on as far as in my heart and in my life um, for some time now. It's, it's been one of those things where God has been working and he's been doing some things. Um, we spent some time the past couple weeks considering things that supposedly God has said but has not. Um, the series that Pastor Ken entitled, I Didn't Say That. Uh, you guys remember? You remember those three things? Anybody want to give me the first one? Now, now that's three weeks back, so you, you may have to remember. What was the first thing that God supposedly said, or we think the Bible says that God says, I did not say that? What's the first one? What? He won't give us more than what we can handle. How many have heard that one? Like, you've heard that one, and, and like, there's something in you that kind of like goes, ah, no, nah, no, nah, that's not it. What's the second one? God just wants me to be happy. Yeah, we've heard, we've all heard that one. What's the third one just last week? Yeah, everything happens for a reason. Now, listen, I wasn't here last week. Um, I spent a, a, a brief, I spent two days in the hospital, nothing major, just, you know, uh, my health history, something happens, I, I, I kind of go get stuff checked out. Uh, so like, but I didn't, I wasn't here. I, and I didn't watch online during, during the service, but I made sure I uh, checked it out. And it's like, I don't know about you, but I've heard that one so many times. I, I've, I've heard, especially number one and number three, so many times as far as, you know, some of you know, my, my dad died when I was a sophomore in high school. And people always told me that God will never give you more than what you can handle. Right. You know, like, and that was rough. That was rough. And also God always has a reason. And I, I struggled for years years. It wasn't until years later that I finally was able to go to God and say, God, listen, I may never know the reason why, because I kind of thought he owed me an answer. I kind of thought he owed me an explanation. If I never know the reason why, I'm good. I trust you. You You are good, you know, and you do cause all things to work together for good. But yeah, those are tough ones, right? Those are tough ones. And as when Ken asked me to speak this Sunday, he knew he was going to be on vacation. He asked me to speak if, if, if I would be willing to share and willing to preach. The, the passage we're going to study this morning automatically came to mind. It's been on my heart. God has been working on me. It was actually much bigger than what it's going to be this morning. I've been trying the last couple of days especially, but in the last couple of weeks to try to narrow it down to kind of keep it brief. And there are some people in here that know me well enough to know that maybe I can go a little longer than, than maybe what I should, but uh, I'm going to try to keep it relatively brief. But God's been kind of like honing in on some things in my life, and he's been showing me some stuff <clears throat> regarding that. So like I knew where Ken was going, and the passage we're going to take a look at this morning is one of those passages where God basically says, um, and Jesus is speaking, it's Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to have you turn there in a minute, but Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says six times, you have heard that it was said... And he gives a statement, and he says, but I say to you. I mean, he makes it really clear, extremely clear exactly what he means and exactly what is being said so that there is no doubt. You know, so and knowing where Ken was going to be going in, in the series that we just finished, like this, this came to mind as far as like 
we've heard all kinds of things. And Jesus is basically saying, even to the people in his day, he's saying, you've heard it that it was said. You've heard these things that are to some degree, basically, in total, not true. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and he makes it really clear. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5. We're only going to be taking a look at verses 43 to 48. Uh, but before we begin, let's, let's pray. All right? Father, I thank you so much for your love for us and for your grace that is always sufficient in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to take a look in your word and how practical it is for us, how uh, convicting it can be for us, for me. And Lord, I just ask that you would use this time to bring honor and glory to your name. As always, Lord, I ask that the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Even if you don't have your Bible, <clears throat> most of you, uh, like I'm sure almost all of you, have your phone, and you can go to the YouVersion app. And while there's no live event, I apologize, there's, no, there's going to be no notes up here, because I, I was making changes even up until last night, as far as, you know, like, there's no, nothing going to be up here to distract us. We'll, we'll try to stay focused. I will try to stay focused um, I, as far as in, in what God has, has laid out for us this morning. But in the YouVersion app, you can just hit the button at the bottom. Instead of live events, you can hit read. You can go to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's a long chapter. Aren't you glad we're not doing the whole chapter? Right? Just, you know, just 43 to 48. Aren't you also glad? That, I mean, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that cool? This is the Sermon on the Mount, one of those great passages. Aren't you glad we're not doing the whole thing? Because that's a couple chapters. That's chapter 6 into chapter 7. We'd be here a long time. Um, but we're just going to cover these, these verses. So let me read. Um, and if you would follow along and read with me. Um, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not even the gen do not sorry do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me explain how, uh, if I can, how God kind of led me here this, to this passage and why we're spending some time in it this morning. I am not on social media. I made that decision a number of years ago to kind of stay away from it. I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I was on it, there are just things that, okay, all right, there are things that annoyed me and I can kind of get worked up and, and things that bother me. And I see, uh, I don't, you know, maybe it's not there anymore, but I, I, I used to see the stupidity in people and they could say whatever they wanted to say without any consequence. And they could, and they could rant and do all kinds of stuff. And I just decided for my own personal well-being. And my own walk with the Lord and, and my own issues that I would not be on there. But we live in a divided world. I hear about it as far as what's online. You see it in the news. 
We are divided politically. We are divided racially. We are divided economically. We're divided socially. I mean, you name it. There are all kinds of issues that divide us. We live in that kind of world. I've even heard of a couple of churches that have almost literally almost divided over the issue of face masks, whether to wear them or whether not to wear them. I have had discussions even with like my, my brother over the issue of like get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated and to face mask and travel and don't do this, do this, I do you. Like all the, we have, we live in a world that's still dealing with some of the consequences of the pandemic that have caused us to be completely divided. And if you're aware, which I'm sure you are, people are vocal about this, whether in writing or, or in speech. And it's, it's like, listen, the worst part about all this is, is that it's crept its way into the church. Christians are divided over issues that are, have, are of very little consequence, really. And people get a chance to say things and to people, since sometimes we don't even know who they are and they don't even know who we are. And stuff gets said. Anger and hate seem to be everywhere. People get angry and chaos ensues. Can I be honest with you this morning? Well, actually, that's a rhetorical question because I'm going to be honest with you anyway, right? I tend to like my anger and my hate. If I'm honest, I tend to like it. In fact, I can be kind of comfortable in it. At times, I can kind of feel warm in it. I can get angry at multiple times of the day, at multiple objects, at multiple kinds of people for multiple reasons, in multiple settings, multiple places. In fact, I can often feel incredibly righteous in my anger and hate. Because I think I'm doing what's right. They're doing what's wrong. Justice needs to be served. I can feel incredibly righteous at times. One of the ways that I know that I desperately need Jesus is by taking inventory of my thoughts while driving in traffic. Now listen, I, I, I spend a minimum usually of 40 minutes one way to drive to work and longer usually driving home because it's that time of the day where it can take me an hour or more. To my great shame, I murdered three people while driving to work this past week. Now, I say that because if you know anything about this passage in Matthew chapter 5 that we read, Jesus previously has said that you have heard it said you don't commit murder, but if you have cursed somebody or said you fooled to somebody or you have thought it, you guess what? You're guilty of murder. You, will, you stand in that same place of judgment as the person who actually did it. So guess what? To my great shame, I may have, I may be guilty. Just this past week, 
See, we tend to like it. We tend, uh, listen, and if you're driven, if, you know, when, not when, not if, when, when you're driving, guess what? And there's people, they shake their fist at you if they get angry at you. And get, but by the way, that solves everything, doesn't it? They're angry at you, so you automatically back off, don't you? No, it just seems to escalate, right? I, I love it whenever, like, they're behind you and they want to get around you and finally get the chance to get around you. What do they do? Do they go flying down the road past you? No, they actually go around you and do what? Cut in front of you and hit the brakes. That, yeah, and that makes us calm and peaceful. We automatically release that anger and hate, don't we? Well, um, I don't. don't. Don't leave me alone up here. If that's you, you can kind of nod and just go like, yeah, I've been there, done that. And heaven forbid we be the person that does the jerk around and cut in front and hit on the brakes person, right? It's, it's, we kind of, and we feel justified. And when, when I approach this passage and when, I, when God brings this passage to my mind, I can just tell you there's that part of me that does not like what Jesus says whatsoever at all. Because I, I, don't, I don't like what's going on and I think I should be allowed to be angry and possibly hate. Jesus, Jesus makes these statements, and, and it's difficult. Why, why do we get angry? Like people do stuff to hurt us. As I said before, often not knowing us, or we don't know them, they don't know us. We live in a day and time where an idea or an ideology can be so contrary to our worldview that it can feel like they are our enemies. Enemy is often defined as a person who, who acts to do us harm or wishes harm on us. We kind of feel that way. As strongly as statements are often made against us or our, our, our ideologies or our worldview, we, just, we kind of see people sometimes as enemies. I suppose in my lifetime and in your lifetime, we have not had as many aggressive enemies as we do today at all levels. The kingdom of darkness has become more hostile than ever. Hostile to the light, hostile to the gospel, hostile, hostile to Jesus Christ, hostile to the church, hostile to the truth. And that hostility is being ramped up at a level we have never seen in our society. Listen, I'm, I, I am, I kind of always joke around, I am one of the older people. I may not be the oldest, but I am one of the older people at this church. And I've never seen it like it is today. It used to be really, really easy to be a Christian. It used to be really easy to stand for Jesus Christ or to, or like, like people had the same worldview as us. And it just isn't that way anymore. I do not envy any of the younger people in our presence this morning or in our church. Because I, I honestly believe that it's only going to get worse. I have heard of a pastor in Alberta, Canada. His name is James Coates, who spent time in prison. And the judge would not grant him bail because he would go out and preach the gospel once again. 
Well, at the same time, that same judge released a child molester, causing the police to put out a bulletin because they knew he would do it again as well. Like, that would have never happened whenever I was like your age, in our culture, in our society. One of the guys that, uh, being older, one of the guys that's also older uh, that I have followed and, and have enjoyed from time to time, not always agreeing with everything that he has said or done or anything else like that, but Pastor and um, Dr. John MacArthur, uh, I don't know if you know of him or have heard of him, he recently made this statement regarding the atrocity, to him, like the atrocity of this pastor up in Canada, as well as some other things, he, uh, other injustices, he said this, We rightly resent the wickedness of these events. We rightly resent the legalizing of the murder of infants. We rightfully resent sexual perversion in all its form. We hate the fact that the role of men, the role of women, the place of children, the family are being systematically destroyed. We are deeply saddened at racial destruction going on by identity politics in our country. We are disturbed by the breakdown of the social order where we are no longer feeling like we are a nation ruled by law. We are concerned about escalating socialism, which empowers the elite even more and takes away freedom. Socialism and freedom are mutually exclusive by definition. The combination of all this dominant wickedness is growing at such a rapid rate. And while we have been able to communicate the truth in the midst of this, we feel like we are slowly being canceled so that we're not going to have the opportunity to say what we say to proclaim the truth in the forms of media that have been available to us in the past. And if you know about some of the uh, things that are going on regarding the restrictions that are being placed upon some Christian voices and some other some people and, the, and oh, I just can't think of the word I want to use, um, as far as all those things where they're just beginning to monitor and shut down different things. I mean, he is facing the fact that they're beginning to deny him access to some of the forms of media for him to express his opinion because his opinion is being classified as hate speech whenever it's really just a biblical worldview. I don't envy you guys. We live in a world where People seem to be against us where it seems like we have enemies. So when I consider Jesus' words in the passage this morning, there's a part of me that doesn't like it. There are parts of the Bible that are very, very difficult for us to understand and explain. I taught Bible in Christian schools for a while, a number of years. And there are some passages that are very difficult to explain, very difficult to understand. But then again, there are, pas- there are some passages that are extremely easy for us to understand, but difficult to obey or apply. This is one of those passages. It's really pretty easy for us to understand. We don't need too many notes as far as to explain as far as exactly what Jesus is saying because he makes it really clear. The problem, for me at least, is obedience.
We come to this passage. Jesus begins with this, with, with this phrase. You have heard that it was said. This is the sixth time. He does that six times in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, and he does different things. This is the sixth time. Now listen, do you understand the setting of the Sermon on the Mount? People, Jesus has been doing stuff. People have been following him. There's thousands of people that are following him. He's along the Sea of Galilee. And he stops along the Sea of Galilee, and the people sit down on this hillside, and they begin to listen to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus begins to speak. Now, I have been there. If you have not been to the Sea of Galilee, I would encourage you to put it on your bucket list. Because I tell you, whenever you go to Israel and whenever you go to the places that the Bible talks about, you will read your Bible in a way that you have never read it before. Because whenever I read this passage, I can envision the place where many scholars and I believe that Jesus actually spoke along the Sea of Galilee. What was really cool is acoustically, it's, it was like an, almost like an amazing amphitheater. We got, you know, I was with a group. We got off the bus, and some people went down by the Sea of Galilee and stood there. There was this little cove. You know, they, they kind of called it the Fisherman's Cove. And, and you can kind of envision some of the stories of Jesus and the fishermen and his disciples and the nets and the boats. Can we come into the little cove? Stuff like that. They went down there. We went down a couple yards from where the bus dropped us off. And there were other people that went up a couple hundred yards. So there's probably three to four hundred yards between the people down by the sea and the people up there. And guess what? They could talk to each other and understand every word in a normal voice. The acoustic, and we could hear it. Like I was in the middle group. So like I wasn't down there or up there. I'm in the middle group, but I could hear them talking and they would answer them. And they talked back and forth and we could hear everything. And the saddest part about it, this is the last time that I went there, they were planting an orchard, like fruit trees in that location that might have ruined the acoustics. But Jesus, the creator, not just of the universe, but the creator of that spot, knew that would be the perfect spot for them to sit down and for him to speak. And talk to them, where they would clearly hear and clearly understand exactly what he was saying. And the Sermon on the Mount is a long sermon. In fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, over in chapter 6, I'm pretty sure, Jesus basically says to them, listen, consider the lilies of the field. And they were sitting in a place where they could go, yeah, right there they are. Consider the birds of the air. There could have been seagulls, you know, and other birds. They're sitting in a place where Jesus isn't saying, consider that. Like, if we said that this morning, you'd look around and go, like, it's kind of hard to imagine right here, but they're sitting right there where it was so easy for them to see it. And Jesus says, if God takes care of them, how much more is he going to take care of you? Do not worry about God taking care of you. Like, it's, it's like this amazing setting with thousands of people, sit, you know, sitting there, listening to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus makes this statement that we're covering this morning extremely clear. He begins by saying, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me stop there for a second. Have we heard, we, have we heard that before? Like we just did a series not too long ago that was what? Won't you be my neighbor? Remember that? How many, you do remember that? 
Like, like I'm telling you, God has been kind of working this in my heart long before I ever had the opportunity to just start preparing for this message, where God is basically saying, you know, this whole idea of being a neighbor. And we learned during those times. Pastor Ken took us through. We learned during those times exactly what it means for us to be a good neighbor. So, like, I don't have to really make too many statements regarding that because you remember if you just stop and think, you remember all the things that he said as far as in the, in the way that we need to be a neighbor and that we can be a neighbor, won't you be my neighbor? We went through that. And we come to this passage and Jesus says, for you have heard it said, love your neighbor. What did, but by the way, what, what did Jesus leave out? What did the people, the teachers leave out? Because like, he's quoting people that were teaching. But you know, all these thousands of people knew two things pretty well. They knew the teachings of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, and the teachings, even then, the teachings of the Talmud. And the Talmud is kind of like this really thick book of commentary on all these laws where they just started adding all kinds of different things as if they were law. So Jesus takes something that's definitely Old Testament and something that is not Old Testament that people were putting together, much like we just did the last three weeks. In, in, in those statements, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love you, your neighbor and hate your enemies. See, that's the part that was being added to Scripture. And it kind of like can sound pretty good. And it sounds like it's justified at times. We kind of like that. Like if, we, if, if somebody came to us and said that that's what the Bible says, we'd say, oh, I feel so much better now. That's not what it says. Because Jesus then says what? But I, my authority, here he is, God in the flesh saying, my, by my authority, I say to you, love your enemies. Listen, it's hard for me to love my neighbor. You know, when we went through that series, it, it, it's hard for me to really actually apply that because, like, it really means I have to now do something about it. It's really easy for me to leave it in the general and in kind of like the vague, you know, application. Well, like, the church needs to love, and, but that doesn't necessarily mean me. Love, your enemies, takes that to a whole new level. We kind of get that. When I think of, of love your neighbor and the biblical emphasis of that, you know, I'm constantly reminded of different stories that in different encounters that Jesus had, the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, after he quotes the law, Jesus says, so go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and come follow me. And, and the guy walks away. And by the way, Jesus grieved over that. He wasn't angry over that. He kind of grieved over it. I mean, there's scribes that can't, people are always, at, and like, I, I love, by the way, the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were considered enemies to the Jews. And that whole story is 
precipitated by a scribe, a, a lawyer, somebody that knew the law perfectly, questioning Jesus. And Jesus says to him, so, so what, is, like, what, what is the law? And he says what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, that's it. Do it. And what does, the, what does the guy say? Do you know the story? Remember? What does the guy say? Uh, who's my neighbor? <laughs> like, uh, that's like, like a third grade, you know, maybe level question. Like, I don't know. Who's my neighbor? Is, that, is, is it really that hard of a question? Like, who's, who's my neighbor? But like, the, we kind of sometimes, I can make that really, really difficult because I'm trying to decide, okay, so who am I actually going to love? And and Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan who basically did what? What does it mean that you love your neighbor? I, I think there's three things I, I, I want us to see this morning. First of all, I, I, I want us to see the fact that Jesus' command is to love your neighbor. I mean, what do we do about this love? Do what is best for the other person. To do what is right, to do what is good. For the other person, no matter who they are. Let me read you a, a passage in First John um, that came to mind. First John, um, by the way, the Apostle John writes this, and he writes this letter, and it kind of sounds like Jesus, maybe because he hung around Jesus for a long time. So it kind of sounds like Jesus. John three, First John three sixteen through eighteen, and it's like one of those. Like there's a lot of great three sixteen passages, and I know verses and chapters didn't come along until just a couple thousand years, just like a thousand, not even a thousand, a couple hundred years ago. Um, I know they weren't there whenever. Like Paul didn't write in verses and chapters. We all know that. So like, but it just seems to work this way out that three sixteen is, is is always like a really cool place you can go, and so in First John chapter three verse sixteen. Uh, the Apostle John says to the, to the church, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And it goes back to what? This, this we know love, Jesus died for us. He sacrificed his life for us. And, but he goes on to say in verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods, you have the stuff, and sees his brother in need, Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we will know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. If we see somebody in need and do nothing about it, and we have the means to do something about it, Shame on us. Don't say we love then. I kind of like my stuff. I don't want to necessarily lose some of my stuff. Like I said, this passage is easy to understand. It's hard to obey. Love your enemies. So, like, and listen, many of us are really generous people. Many of you are generous people. You're willing to do stuff for other people. You're willing to take care of family and friends. You would just like do anything for them, given that it's for their good, What's their, what their need is. Mom and dad, I need a car. No, we'll do what is needed for you, but it may not be a car. 
or a new car. But if you have the if you have the ability and you do nothing for something, who, someone who needs something, uh, that was part of "Won't You Be My Neighbor" series, wasn't it? That we have the opportunity to reach around in our neighborhood, literally in our neighborhood, so to speak, and do something to meet needs of other people. If we have the ability to do that and do nothing, shame on us. And now Jesus, Jesus back actually though in Matthew. Five is saying, uh, love your enemies. So you're going to do what's best for them. You're going to do good. Uh, we could turn to Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says, do good to those who hate you and persecute you. Do good. What is good for them? We need, we need to love in such a way that it, it's demonstrated by our actions. Second thing we need to do is we need, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but it, um, if I'm angry and I have hate towards somebody, it, doesn't, it can't stay there. It doesn't stay there long if I start to pray for them. You ever done that? You ever be angry at somebody and you kind of like start talking to God about it? Because a prayer is just talking to God. And if you're angry, you start talking to God like, I can't, I can't believe my wife did that. Like, you know, like I know none of, none of you that are married would ever say that to God or think that or anything else like that. But if you start talking to God about that and you start saying, I can't believe this happened and she did this and then, or, and it may, listen, some of you aren't married. So like, I, like a friend, a parent, whatever it is, they did this and you start talking to God about it. You know what? The Holy Spirit and God has this amazing capacity to be able to start putting things into your mind like, well, maybe if you wouldn't have done that, or maybe if you wouldn't have said that, maybe if you would have done this, you could have been a little more patient. You could have been a little kinder. The tone of your voice could have been better. Like, I, I cannot stay angry or have hate if I'm literally going to pray for somebody for their good. Then we need to, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And granted, we're not facing heavy persecution like some Christians are facing in our world. In other parts of our world, there are people going through intense brutal persecution. We're not facing that, but guess what? It's ramping up even here in the United States where if you're living for Jesus Christ, it's there, it's, and, and it's coming. Um, um, I messed it up in, in, in the first service, and I, I still can't remember it again, exactly what, what this one um, person used to say, that if you aren't experiencing any persecution, the idea was you're not really living the Christian life. People, the kingdom of darkness, as John MacArthur says, is opposed to what we live and what we believe and what we stand for. And if you have no opposition, there's, there's no threat. Your, your life poses no threat. And we just need to pray 
for people. What do we, we can pray. We can pray for their good. I, where I work now, like I, I am a sewing machine repair and service technician, which is rather strange because of my bachelor's degree and master's degree. I have nothing to do with that, but I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. God has kind of led me into that. It was a curiosity thing, and I enjoy learning, and I, I love, I kind of love what I do. I, the, the place where I work is in a store uh, in Duluth, but technically the manager of the store is not my boss. The owner has three stores and three shops, and those of us that work in the shop as technicians are literally, we are under his jurisdiction. We are under his you know, uh, accountability. We're accountable to him. So um, I've had some issues of conflict with the store manager, especially during COVID and, and everything else like that. And, and like short of basically saying point blank, you are not my boss, so I don't want to hear it. Like we, we've had those kinds of discussions. And there have been times that I've said, listen, listen I, we, we don't need to discuss this because I'll talk to Nick. He's the owner. I'll, I'll talk to him. No, no, we can work. No, I'm, I'm going to talk to him because we've already discussed these things. It's like, we, and I'll come home and I'll vent to Amy, my wife. And I'll, I go, oh, I can't believe. And Amy will say like, you know, you just need to show her love. Have you been praying for her? No. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm telling you, I can't stay angry. I can't have the conflict. If I'm doing what's for her benefit, her good, and I am praying for her, but she's not a believer. I don't know what happened. There's, to, in my mind, in all the discussion we've had about faith and we've had about religion and stuff like that, she was burned as a young person regarding issues of church and faith. Something happened there, she has never said, but something happened there that has caused her to be pretty antagonistic toward the Christian faith. And here I am, like, Former pastor, former Bible teacher in Christian schools, et cetera. Like, and, like, and, and at times, I think that's a part of that antagonism that we can have and the friction that's there. But I know if I'm praying for her, I can't stay angry. And I know that my relationship, my care, my love for her means that there are times I just need to take chocolate for her and some of the other ladies at work. Or she really likes, you know, those Belvita like breakfast cookies, crackers. Some of you that have, that have gone shopping, you've seen them. Uh, Amy likes the ones that are cinnamon. Like she calls them adult graham crackers. They are like, and they are, they are really, really good. It means sometimes I need to take that and just leave it there for them to show them that I care about them. This is for your good. Although like they would say, like, don't bring more calories or something like that. Like we don't, they, they have never told me they don't need more chocolate, by the way. They have never said that. Um, but it, we need to pray for them and do what, is, do what is good, love them. Pray for them. And guess what? My relationship, my care for her has to, go, has to be seen. And if I'm praying for her, it, it's a whole lot easier to do. It's, a, it's like, actually, like, I think love your enemies and pray for them, the how, do I, how can I do this? I can do this better if I'm praying for them. They have to go together. Third thing, though, that I want to share is the kind of like the reason behind it. Why should we do that? Starting in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. By the way, if you want to grow crops, you need what? Sun and rain. Those are both positives. Those are not neg- the rain is not a negative. They, you know, actually, in that part of the world, uh, they go through great dry spells and droughts, more so than having too much rain type thing in, in many parts of, the, of, of that world. Um, God cares for everybody, and so should we. So should we. Are we proving ourselves to be children of God? We sang that, right? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Are we proving it? I had the opportunity this week because of my brief hospital stay. I wasn't able to go to work um, right away. I went to work. I uh, didn't go Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Um, the restriction was just, just had to do with the fact that I wasn't supposed to lift heavy things. So uh, I went Thursday and Friday, and one of the other service technicians that works in a different store came over and worked with me Thursday and Friday. And he is um, not a believer also. He's very curious, though, and intellectually wants to know more about religion and the Bible and Greek. He was asking me questions about fasting. I mean, we had these, like, amazing conversations. But in the midst of it all, as he's talking about his aunt that goes to a church, and probably a rather, like, strange church or bizarre church from my perspective, uh, a little extreme, and things like that. And as I've worked through on, on some of this stuff and been thinking this through, I'm thinking, does he see Jesus in me? Am I representing my father well? What does he think of me? And I don't know how good I've been doing the last couple of years that I've been working with him from time to time, and, I, and, and I've known him. I, you know, I, I had to sit there, and I had to wonder on the drive home on Thursday especially, I, I had to wonder how good, how good of a son of God have I been? Does he think I love people, and I love even my enemies? Or can I rant and rave a little too much? Uh, Jesus goes on to, listen, you know, time is passing us by really quickly, has passed us by. Jesus goes on to say, listen, even the Gentiles, like, by the way, the Good Samaritan, who's the good guy in the Good Samaritan? A Samaritan, an enemy is the good guy. Jesus goes on to say, like, you have nothing to brag about. If you do this for your friends, and you do this for your family, and people that will do it back for you. You know, a big, a big phrase in our culture a little over a year ago was quid pro quo, and our former president was accused of that, and with the Russians, and all the stuff that went on there. It's like, like, that's us then. If we only do it for our family, and we only do it for our friends, we only do it for people that would do it back to us, We're no better than anybody else. We're no better than the enemies that we're supposed to be loving. We're no better than them because we're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Guess what? We're we're the exact same. Jesus basically says, what good are you? What good is it? Jesus, you know, the people that have done stuff against us, Jesus was on the cross and he said, what? Father, forgive them. 
but they don't know what they're doing. I love the story. I love, like, I, I love the book of Acts. I, lo- I, lo- I love stories. And if you don't like history, I'm, I'm sorry. I love stories. I love the story of Stephen when he was stoned to death in Acts after preaching and he's stoned to death. And as they take him out of town and throw him down and they begin to kill him by stoning him, they didn't use little stones, right? They, I mean, if you're going to stone somebody to death, you're going to pick a big one. And they, I'm sure they picked big ones. And they're, as they're stoning him to death, what does he say? Do not hold this against them. Who's standing there observing? Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. See, people are watching, and they're watching us. I know. Listen, if, if nothing else is accomplished because of this weekend and, and, and this time we've spent together this morning, I know I need to work on this. Because what do they see in me? Am I loving my enemies? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, Roy McCauley, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We could go to Luke 10. We could go to a bunch of other places where Jesus is saying really the exact same thing and we have the opportunity to do that. I, mean, I just, I just want, I, I see today for me as kind of like this culmination, kind of like this reminder of, won't you be my neighbor? Because I need to do something about it in my life. Maybe God's challenging you to consider doing something about it in yours. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for our time this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to demonstrate who we are. I'm so grateful that I am called a child of God. I'm so grateful for all the things that Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf. And Lord, may I honor you by the way I live my life because of this command that Jesus has given us. May I be creative in the ways that I accomplish that. Father, forgive me for the times that I've justified bad behavior and speech and thought and not demonstrated love. But Lord, I just pray that you would challenge us. And as a group of people, if we are willing to do this, we will stand out. And we will bring honor and glory to your name. And for that, we give you, even now, we give you great praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.